There was this lady in the Old Testament. We're going to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 29, if you want to just kind of get there. Uh, there was this lady in the Old Testament, and she, um, she was married, but uh, she did not have the favor of her husband. In fact, there was another wife in the picture, and that's an Old Testament thing. I do not recommend it. There was another wife, and that was the favored wife. And so this lady, uh, her name was Leah, and she had children. And she was a little bitter about it, to be honest, that while she was bearing children to her husband, that the other wife was the favored wife. And so she got looking at her situation, and as she started to bear children, her firstborn, he was uh, a son, and she named him Reuben. And Reuben means... The Lord has looked on my affliction. And then she had another boy and she named him Simeon. She said, the Lord has heard that I was hated. That's what Simeon means. And then she had a third son and she named him Levi, which means joined. She said, now maybe finally my husband will be joined to me in spirit. And only when she had her fourth son did she finally get her eyes off her circumstances. And she named him Judah, which means praise. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. I've talked about affliction and hatred and feeling alone long enough. I am going to launch myself into a new dimension. Now I will praise the Lord. Here's the scripture, Genesis 29, verse 35. She said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Somebody say Judah. It just so happens that when Israel was looking at conquering the promised land and Joshua had died and they're getting ready to go in and fight the battles for their territory that God has promised, they had a little discussion. It's the opening two verses of the book of Judges in chapter 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall go up with us against the Canaanites first? Who do we put at the head of the army to fight against them? And the Lord said, oh, that's easy. Judah shall go up because I've delivered the land into his hand. God said, when you get ready to fight your battle, send praise in first. And then there's this little pastor and I were talking. I like talking to him because he's so smart. He makes me feel better, uh, just smarter, just by hanging out with him. We were talking this morning. Um, you know, David and Goliath, that story that everybody knows, they faced off in the valley of Elah and Elah is right in the middle of the territory belonging to the tribe of Judah and here's what that big imposing hulk of a giant said to the armies of Israel he said send me a man that we may fight and here's what he here's what he said if you conquer me here I will have to serve you but if I conquer you here You have to serve me. The Valley of Elah is in the land of Judah. Goliath said, in effect, if you conquer me in the area of praise, I'll have to bow down and serve you. But if I conquer you in the area of praise, you'll have to serve me. The devil would love to take your praise, sap your praise, exhaust your praise, siphon off your praise. He would love... He hates services like we've had here tonight. He just absolutely detests it when God's people aren't in a hurry and they're just here to worship God because that's really what we did come here for. 
your praise <laughs> blesses you and glorifies God and irritates the devil. And that's enough reason before we go to the word to lift up one more great, loud, excited praise unto the Lord for everything he's done. I worship you, God. Amen. You may be seated. We learn from Scripture that the purpose of praise is to activate the name of the Lord. That's why they worshiped God when they went into battle. It activated the name of the Lord. I want to talk to you about a magnificent scriptural word that's already been said in this service by dozens of people and across this pulpit a few times already tonight, and that is the magnificent scriptural word, that we use all the time in the apostolic church, and that is hallelujah. I wish somebody would just open up your mouth and just say it with some push. Hallelujah. Hmm. We start in the very beginning of the word of God, Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and we're told the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we learn from the opening chapter and the opening verses of the Bible that wherever God's Spirit is, there will be movement, and there will be revelation, there will be light. There will be a response in worship, there will be understanding. And, and here's the great thing, when God said, let there be light in Genesis 1 and 3, guess what happened next? There was light. Because when God gives a command, there's power resident in that command to help fulfill that command. We still have light today. The scientists will study it and they can tell you how it works. But what they cannot do is go back to the beginning and create it all over again. They can tell you about the sun. They can tell you about all kinds of wonderful things. But the scientists are dependent on the revelation that God set in motion when he said, let there be light. If you flip all the way to the end of your Bible and you go to the last chapter, 22 of Revelation, and you go to the 17th verse, here's what you'll read. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And I say to you one more time that if God gives a command, there's power resident in that command to help you fulfill that command. So if God says, let him come, that's an announcement to every demon, devil, and opposition, and enemy that you will ever face, saying, if they want me, they can have me. Get out of the way. If they're thirsty, they can have this. If they're hungry, they can have this. I don't care how messed up they are, how dysfunctional their background is. If they want it, let them come. There's nothing to keep you from serving God. Now, in the opening verse of your Bible, when the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, that is a Hebrew word, Elohim. It comes from a root, El or Eloah, which means a mighty or strong or prominent God. Elohim is actually a plural word. That doesn't mean there's more than one persons there, uh, more than a, a one single identity. It simply means it's a plurality of powers, that God is so mighty that a singular word will not describe him. 
It takes a plural word to describe his majesty. And Elohim is translated God some 250 times in the scriptures. And it's used to indicate the great power of God. Elohim is used in scripture when the Bible wants to emphasize God's might or his creation or his attributes of being a ruler and a king. And it, it speaks to us of preeminence and power and the glory of God. And it's used in relationship to God's sovereignty and his mighty works. And it's everywhere in the Old Testament. It's El, Eloah, Elohai, which means my God, and Eloheinu, which means our God. Elohim portrays God as this transcendent kind of a being. He's the creator of the universe. He interacts with movement and he reveals himself in light with his creation. And so Elohim can be a noun, a name, an adjective, a designation. It presents a God who was not content to be alone up in the cosmos somewhere, but he is always revealing himself as the supreme deity of a people. He's not content to be alone. He wanted to be here tonight. He's not content to be up there ruling the stars. He wanted to be here touching your life tonight. Elohim appears in various forms in uh, over 1,300 verses of the Old Testament. It's God's name alone in 233 verses. It's in a compound form in 75 verses. It's your Elohim in 470 verses. It's our Elohim in 175 verses. And it's the Elohim of somebody, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in over 350 verses. It's a plural word. But it doesn't refer to a plurality of persons. Although it's a plural word, it always appears with singular verbs and singular adjectives. The Bible's telling us something. God's not more than one. He's only one. He is absolutely one. And so the Jewish people who had the Old Testament scriptures far longer than we have, they teach that that plural kind of word, Elohim, it could refer to a plurality of majesty. Like Queen Elizabeth, uh, she will say, we, the royal we, we have said, and she doesn't mean we, there's only one of her, but she's speaking on behalf of her domain. So it could be a plurality of majesty. But the Jews also teach us something that is very, very interesting. It can be a plurality of intensity. Because in the Hebrew language, a word can be given a stronger meaning when you say it in a plural form or when you repeat it a few times. That's why this happened to the prophet Isaiah in 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. He was seated upon a throne high and lifted up. His train filled the temple and above it stood the seraphims and they all had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew around the throne. And they cried one to another and here's what they said. Holy. But God's so holy, one holy won't do it. So they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Because in Hebrew, you can intensify a praise by repeating a praise. Don't ever get bored with somebody standing in this pulpit or on this platform and saying, let's worship the Lord again. There is an intensity of the spirit that is created by repeated praise to God. Pastor just got back from Israel, and in Israel at the Western Wall, you will notice not everybody. There's tourists there. There's kind of backslidden Jews getting back to their roots there. There's everything. But if you watch the Orthodox, they never stop moving all the while they're praying. 
And the reason they've done that from ancient times, while they pray that they rock back and forth and they move and they kind of twist and turn sometimes, the reason they do that, they are imitating the throne room of God, whether consciously or unconsciously. Because if you could pull the veil back and if you could see around the throne right now, there is holy chaos around the throne of God. It doesn't sound quiet and reserved. It's not at all like a funeral home. The throne of God is filled with created beings of all dispositions and they are saying holy, 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 holy. It wouldn't be quiet in heaven right now. It wouldn't be sedate in heaven. It would sound like Terre Haute New Life Fellowship on a Sunday night. Holy, 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 holy Lord God Almighty. That's why it sometimes sounds like Pentecostal pandemonium in here. And we don't apologize for that because if they're doing it in heaven, this is dress rehearsal. Now, El or Elohim, that great word, that great name, that great designation, it's often used with suffixes in Scripture. They'll put another word with it. And so you get words like this in Genesis 17 and 1. When Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Almighty God is El Shaddai. God Almighty. El Shaddai literally means the all-sufficient one or the all-bountiful one. And the Hebrew word "die" means sheds forth or pours out or heaps benefits. And it suggests a God who is always blessing us over and over. And the Hebrew word Shaddaim, it means someone who nourishes or supplies or satisfies. So quite literally, if you break down El Shaddai, it could literally be interpreted that we serve God Almighty. The God who is mighty enough to provide, sustain, bless, nourish, supply, and satisfy us. Now that just about gets it. So while Elohim is the God who creates, El Shaddai is the God who can compel nature to do opposite of what he created it to do. That's amazing. So harvest. You plant seed, you reap the crop, you bring in the harvest, all of that. You make bread. But Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, because he was El Shaddai in a body, he could bypass the entire planting, sowing, watering, reaping, harvesting, baking bread. He could just make bread out of thin air. Jesus created the law of gravity. He's El Shaddai, but he could walk on the waves of the sea and compel nature to do opposite of what he created it to do. You have a miraculous human body God gave you. And if you leave it to its own devices and everything is normal, it can heal wounds and injuries and sicknesses. It's a miraculous machine that God gave you. But let me give you some good news. This El Shaddai that we worship, he can bypass the entire healing cycle and he can give you a divine miracle of healing in an instant that bypasses everything that the doctor said. When you combine El with Shaddai, it, pro, pro, it, it portrays a, a God who is all bountiful and all powerful and all sufficient. So no wonder Paul said in Ephesians, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He got a picture. So, so they use these words all through the Old Testament. 
There's Elohim, there's El Shaddai, there's this one, El Elyon. It means God most high. Genesis 14, verse 19, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. Elyon literally means to go up or to ascend. And so it's something that's the highest or the uppermost. So if you see a tall mountain or a tall building, you could say Elyon, highest, the, the greatest, the tallest. But if you say El Elyon, you're describing God. It's describing the highest supremacy of our God. You can't translate El Elyon exactly into English like most Hebrew terms. But let me make a stab at it. If you could bring El Elyon from ancient Hebrew into modern English, it would sound something like this. The extremely exalted, sovereign, most high God. Do you know who you were worshiping tonight? The extremely exalted, sovereign, most high God. We didn't gather to honor the dead founder of our faith who's in a tomb somewhere in Israel. You gathered tonight to worship and to exalt and to praise the extremely exalted, sovereign, most high God. That's who you were worshiping tonight. Then there's this one. There's El Gibor. El Gibor means the strong or the mighty God. Isaiah 10 verse 21 Isaiah described Jehovah God. He said, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto El Gibor, unto the mighty God. Now that's very interesting to me that in chapter 10 of Isaiah, he described the creator of heaven and earth as El Gibor, the mighty God. When just one chapter before he had said this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor El Gibor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah, I think you got confused because in chapter 10, you said Jehovah is El Gibor, but in chapter 9, you said this child that will be born, he's El Gibor. If that prophet was alive tonight, he'd say, I wasn't confused at all. The great God who created the heaven and the earth, he robed himself in flesh. He was born in a stable in Bethlehem, and he came to earth to give his life. He is the mighty God. Hmm. I don't have time. We could be here all night. But there are many other compound names of God all through the Old Testament. They're everywhere. We don't see them because we read English. But if you could read Hebrew, there's El Haim. That's the living God or the God of my life. El Deot, the God of knowledge. El Emet, the God of truth. And El Hagadol, the great God. El Hakavod, which means the God of glory. El Haniman, which is the faithful God. El Hashamayim, the God of the heavens. El Kano, the jealous God. El Kadem, the God of the beginning. They're everywhere in the Old Testament. El Mazui, the God of my strength. El Mishfat, God of justice. I love this one. El Olam, which means the everlasting God or the God of everlasting time. El Olam, that's the God you serve. That's the God you worship. Now, the reason I like that is because I've done a little study on that. And see, God is not confined to time like you are. You got up this morning when your alarm went off. Or if you are suffering jet lag, you get up before your alarm went off. Or if you're normal, you get up after your alarm went off because you hit snooze two or three times. 
But you get up this morning and you'll get up tomorrow morning and you'll go off to work and you live a creature that is limited and bound by time. So you get up in the morning, you go to work, you have your lunch, you have your break, you come home, you do your chores, whatever you've got at your house, you might do a little shopping and you go to bed and you are governed by time. And here's the thing about all of us creatures that are governed by time. We have no rewind. We have no do-over. So once that day has passed, you cannot go back and get it. You cannot go back and correct it. Your mistakes are your mistakes. Your failures are your failures. Your triumphs are your triumphs. And the day is gone because you are bound by time, but not God. God is the God of everlasting time. They sang it tonight. He is the God who is and who was and who is to come He is El Olam. Do you know what that means? That means that while you're worshiping God here in this service tonight, God is not bound by time. God is not confined to today. So you are confined to today. You can only worship him in the present. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. All you can do is in your present, you can worship God. You can pray. You can repent. You can rejoice. And all you can do, you're limited by time. But God is not. And while you are worshiping him here in the present, this God who is and was and is to come, while you're worshiping him in one moment of your time tonight, he can go back into your past and he can take the situation that the devil meant to bind you forever and limit you forever. And while you're praising him over there in the present, God can go back into your past and he can heal it. He can deliver it. He can turn your greatest trial into your greatest greatest testimony I got one better than that while you're worshiping him here tonight you're in the present you're in a moment of time but this God that we serve he is El Olam he's the God of everlasting time while you're here bound in the present while you can't move into tomorrow God can go into your future and he can bring down mountains and he can lift up valleys and he can open a door that no man can shut and make a way where there seems to be no way all while you're worshiping him here now doesn't that make you feel like you just love to worship you don't know what God's doing while you're praising you don't know what God's fixing while you're praising you don't know what God's fixing or healing while you're Rebo I worship you God oh it's amazing There's El Rahum, the merciful God. El Roi, the God who sees me. El Sali, God of my strength or God my rock. There's El Selehot, the God of forgiveness. And El Telehate, the God of my praise. El Sadiq, the righteous God. El Tezur, God our rock. El Yarushalem, the God of Jerusalem. El Yisrael, the God of Israel. El Echad, you might like this one. El Echad means the one God. You see it in this verse, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is El Echad. He is one Lord. We believe that. Hmm. And then there's this one. You might like this one too. El Hakadosh. It's the holy God or the holy one. In the book of Isaiah, God spoke through the prophet, and in 43 and 3, he said, I am the Lord thy God. I am El Hakadosh. I am the holy one of Israel. Thy Savior. In Isaiah 47, verse 4, he said, 
As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the El HaKadosh, the Holy One of Israel. And that's very interesting because when a man named Jesus from a little town called uh, Nazareth, when he walked into the synagogue in Capernaum, there was a man that had an unclean spirit there. Look at this, Luke 4, verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? And then the devil in that man looked at Jesus the Nazarene, and he said, I know who you are. Here's what he said. You are El HaKadosh. You are the Holy One of God. The devils recognized who Jesus was, even if a lot of theologians do not today. Acts 3, Peter said to the council, you denied the El HaKadosh. When you crucified Jesus, that wasn't a prophet on that cross. That was God on that cross in that body. You denied the El HaKadosh and the just, and you desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You killed the Prince of Light, but let me tell you, you can't put El HaKadosh in a grave. You can't put El Ahad in a grave. You can't put Elohim in a grave. You can't do it. And so, here's what he said, whom God hath raised from the dead. There is no test after service on all this, so just relax and chill. Then there's this one. I really love this one. El Yeshua, which means the God of my salvation. El Yeshua. Isaiah chapter 12, the prophet said this, Behold, God is my salvation. Literally, he said, God is my El Yeshua. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, and Jehovah has become my El Yeshua. Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of Yeshua, salvation. And in that day, you'll say, praise the Lord, call on his name, declare his doings, make mention his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, he's done excellent things, this is known in all the earth, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the El HaKadosh, the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. That's very interesting to me, because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, Mary will bring forth a son, and Joseph, here's what you call him, you call his name Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is Jesus in Greek. It is Yahashua or Yeshua in Hebrew. The Hebrew root words are Yehovah or Yasha, which means deliverer. So Jesus, the Jesus we preach, the Jesus we worship, his name literally, literally means Jehovah has become my salvation. Now, if the media team would help me, I just want to go back to one verse, Isaiah 12 and 2. Behold, God is my El Yeshua, Isaiah 12 and 2. God, Jehovah, is my El Yeshua. Do you know what Isaiah just said? I don't know how they missed this. God is my Jesus. That's what he just said. Jehovah is my Yeshua. Jehovah is my Jesus. 
When you worship Jesus, you're not worshiping something that we grew up with in Sunday school and it's a nice sentimental tradition for Christmas, the baby in the manger and Easter, the kind man who died on the cross and the empty. No, no, it's way more than that. Jehovah who created every cell and every atom and every fiber of this universe, he became our Jesus. Now, the Jews wanted to honor the name of God, so they would take his name, El, and they would put it in the names of places like Bethel, the house of God, or Peniel, the face of God, or Jezreel, God will sow. And, and even more than putting El in place names, they would put God's name, El, Elohim, they would put it in the names of people. So in the Bible, you get these beautiful Bible names like Daniel, my judge is God, Ezekiel, my God strengthens. Joel, Yahweh is God. Samuel, God has heard. Gamaliel, the reward of God. Lemuel, dedicated to God. Mahalalel, the blessed God. Nathaniel, the gift of God. And sometimes they would put El on the beginning of the name. And they would say things like Eli. We would say Eli, my God. Elijah, my God is Jehovah. Elisha, my God is salvation. Eleazar, my God helps me. Elimelech, my God is king. Elkanah, God has created. Ishmael, heard by God. Israel, prince of God. Emmanuel, God with us. It's amazing. It's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's amazing. Woven in the fabric of your Bible is this undergirding of the name of God. His name appears just about every page, every chapter, every story, every life. And His name is the undergirding of the Word of God. I got one more for you. His name is the undergirding for everything we do, everything we are, because in Him we live and we move and we have our being. I'm almost done. You know what? That was a lie. I'm not almost done, but I'm more than halfway, okay? We are coming in for a landing. We just don't know where the airport is. It's not just place names that they put the name of God in. And it's not just people's names that they put the name of God in. The Bible tells us that angelic names contain the word God. So you have in Revelation 12, verse 7, the archangel Michael. His name means who is like God. And in Luke 1, 19, you have Gabriel. And Gabriel, his name means the strong man of God. He's like the FedEx of heaven. He's always showing up to deliver a message somewhere. Gabriel. And, and, and then... In the Apocrypha, which is some, some non-inspired books, they've got mythology and all kinds of weird stuff in them, but, but they are books that, uh, in a Catholic Bible, they're between the Old and New Testament, the Apocryphal books. And in the Apocryphal books, although we know they're not inspired because they contain error and all kinds of other stuff, but, but in the Apocryphal books, the book of Tobit even mentions another archangel named Raphael. If Raphael does exist, and I don't know if he does or not, but his name means God is healing. And there are some Jewish scholars that believe Raphael was the angel sent from heaven to trouble the waters at the pool of Bethesda in John 5. I have no idea whether that's true or not. 
But here's what I do know is true. Our God has a magnificent, eternal, and powerful name. His name is everywhere in the fabric of his creation. It's in places. It's in people. It's in angels. It's everywhere. His name holds it all together. Now, in case you're worried, and in case you're wondering, and in case you're thinking, oh, my goodness, what is this Canadian guy talking about? First, we have to get through the accent, and now we got to get through all of this. Like, I'm supposed to remember this? This is supposed to be relevant? I can't even remember where I put my car keys, preacher. I got good news for you, my friend. My chaotic, kind of inattentive friend. (laughs) My ADHD, which one of those A's has got to be apostolic. Oh, yeah, there's only one A. So I guess it's not... By the time we get to the New Testament, I have good news for you if you don't remember details very well. By the time we turn the page into the New Testament, every single Old Testament covenant name of God has been gathered up and enfolded in the name Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't need to know any Greek or any Hebrew. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a biblical professor. You just have to have the same revelation the early church had. Colossians 2. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So God forbid, but if you get on a highway going home tonight and your car starts to go out of control or somebody starts to cross a median, you don't have to think, uh, El Hakadosh. No, 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 no. Uh, El, 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 help. You, You don't have to remember that. All you've got to remember is one powerful name that enfolds every other biblical name, every covenant, every promise, every attribute. All you've got to say is Jesus. And in a moment, everybody shows up. God, my shepherd. God, my banner. God, my healer. God, my provider. It all shows up when you say the name Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I wish you'd shout his name. I wish you'd lift his name. I wish you'd praise his name. When you say, Jesus, all the power that God ever had, all the power that God is, it shows up when you worship the name Jesus. And so this is why your Bible and your church This is why we are filled with praise all the time. We never stop. Because the Bible says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. That's how I will be saved from my enemies. The Bible says, oh God, you are holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God dwells in praise. That's why we praise him. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. And for all you quiet people. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The Bible says this in Psalm 113. It says, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Please don't limit that verse by your life. Please don't limit that verse by your alarm clock or your iPhone. 
That verse does not mean from the time you get your little self up in the morning until the time you lay your tired little self down at night, you need to praise the Lord all the while you're awake. That is not what that means. That's a much more global verse than what you give it credit for. That verse says from the time the sun cracks the horizon in your time zone until the sun disappears at night in your time zone. It's your turn to praise the Lord. But before the sun ever cracked the horizon in your world, the sun was up somewhere else. Can I tell you something? That Singapore and Australia and China and Japan and India and Pakistan, they already had their turn today to worship the Lord but now the sun is up today in our time zone. So from the rising of the sun here until the going down of the sun here, we're going to take our turn and we're going to join with millions around the world and give God praise. That's why we praise him. And by the way, I'm sorry for picking on you ADHD folks. A moment ago, so I'm going to give you the ADHD psalm, because there is one in the Bible. It's the psalm for ADHD people. It's Psalm 107. You need to read it. It's especially for you. God loves you so much. He put a psalm for you in the Bible. Here's how I know it's the ADHD psalm. Psalm 107, verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. But the ADH people, they weren't paying attention right then. So verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The ADHD people were checking Facebook at that moment. So verse 21, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. They were still checked out. Somebody went to the bathroom. So in case you just got back, verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It is always in order constantly to praise God for his goodness and his wonderful works. And so let me move to a conclusion here. Because of all this praise and because of the power of God's great name, the Psalms introduce us to this incredible powerful word, hallelujah. And hallelujah is used in every language of the earth to give praise to God's name. Psalm 68 verse 4 says this, sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. Somebody say, Yah. Yah. Now you sound like a bunch of southerners is what you sound like there. But Yah in the scripture is a contracted form of Yehovah, or we would say Jehovah. And um, the psalmist, after introducing it here, then under inspiration of God's spirit, began to, conf- to, to combine that shortened name, Yah, with a Hebrew word for praise, which is Hallel. Hallel is this exciting, exuberant, won't take no for an answer kind of praise. And so the psalmist put Hallel with God's name, Yah, and he came up with this word under inspiration of God's spirit, Hallelujah, which literally means praise ye the Lord. And that's why you see those words in your English Bible, praise ye the Lord, Hallelujah. That's why you hear hallelujah all the time. 
It's not a modern word. It's not an American word or a Canadian word. It's not an English word. It's an ancient word. And hallelujah literally commands everything within earshot of your voice to praise God. When you say hallelujah, it's not just kind of a rousing chant or cheer. It is a command that cuts through the junk of the spirit realm. Hallelujah is a command to everything in this physical building. Stop what you're doing and praise God who created the atoms that you are made of. That's why Jesus could actually literally say, if these don't praise me, the rocks will cry out and praise me. Because when you say hallelujah, you are commanding everyone, everything within earshot, including the spiritual realm. Stop what you're doing and acknowledge that there's only one true and living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's not a Pentecostal custom. That is a spirit word. That is a Bible word. Hallelujah. The first time we see the full word is in Psalm 104, verse 35. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. That's hallelujah. Now the last ten occurrences of the word hallelujah happen to be at the beginning and the end of each of the last five Psalms. Psalm 146, verse 1 ends with praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 10 Hallelujah. Verse, uh, chapter 147, verse 1 and verse 20. Chapter 148, verse 1 and verse 14. Chapter 149, verse 1 and verse 9. Chapter 150 of the Psalms, verse 1 and verse 6. They begin and they end with the word hallelujah, or in English, praise ye the Lord. I think that's very fitting. It's like the book of Psalms is coming to this great loud crescendo of praise, lifting up the word and the name and the promise and the praise of God. The very last verse of the Psalms, you know this one. It says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And then it ends, praise ye the Lord. But if you were reading it in Hebrew, it would say, hallelujah. When we're on the crusade field, pastor's been there, I've been there. And we're having some kind of big meeting where a lot of people are looking to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We will lead them in a prayer of repentance. And then we will instruct them that in just a moment, we're going to praise the Lord. Doesn't sound very sophisticated. In just a moment, we're going to worship God with enthusiasm. Doesn't sound very cultured. In just a moment, we're going to lift our voice and we're going to shout. It doesn't sound very dignified. In just a moment, we're going to lift our voice and we're going to scream one great Bible word. And it's always the same word. Hallelujah. We don't say it like this on the mission field. Hallelujah. No, when we say it on the mission field and it's a crusade audience, here's how it goes. Hallelujah. Oh, it's way too, way too uncouth and uncultured for America and Canada. I think we would do a little better if sometimes we lost our dignity and just thought about his deity a little bit more. Hmm. I just got one more thing to say and then we're going to 
let God loose in this room for another moment. Because I really believe that somebody came here tonight and you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't know any better church or anybody better atmosphere to receive the Holy Ghost in than tonight in this church. There's this odd, odd scripture. Isaiah chapter 14. And in Isaiah chapter 14, the prophet is pronouncing judgment upon the king of Babylon, a literal earthly king. But somewhere in the middle of his prophecy, something shifts gears. And Isaiah moves from prophesying judgment on an earthly king to prophesying judgment on a different kind of king. Here's the passage, Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven? Well, that's not an earthly king. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the earth, which did weaken the nations? You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And right there, God shut him down and said, There's only one Most High, and you are not going to be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This is talking about the devil, the enemy of your soul. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. This is a prophecy of the future when you get to heaven. This is a prophecy of the future when God unveils what he actually accomplished at Calvary. They will narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and he destroyed the cities thereof? Is this the man that opened not the house of his prisoners? Are you serious? That's the devil? You think the devil's so big and bad and bold? He's big, bad, and bold, but he's not bigger and badder and bolder than your God. Can, can, can we just do a skill testing question here? How many of you have feet? Good. Would you look down at your legs right now? And would you verify that your feet are on the end of your legs? And if that's the case, would you wave at me one more time? Okay, good. Do you understand that the Bible says that you are the body of Christ, right? Check. Do you understand that the Bible also says that the devil is under Jesus' feet? So if the devil is under Jesus' feet and you are the body of Christ, can I ask you, where does that put the devil relative to you? Not here, not here, down there. You have authority over him. In fact, Paul said to the Romans, and the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The devil has made you think that he runs the shop in your house or your life or your world, and he does not. That is all bravado. That is all boasting. That is all fake. And fo you talk about fake news. That's fake news, that the devil is in charge of your life. That is fake news. It's America. I had to get that in once this weekend. Someday you're going to look at the devil. I don't know how God's going to do that. Maybe he's going to open up some kind of portal so we can see the devil in torment and in agony in the hell that was never created for a human being. It was created for the devil and his angels. 
and you're going to literally look on the devil that you were so afraid of and you thought he could mess you up and you're going to say, really? That's what I was afraid of? That's what gave me so much grief? That's the one who boasted that I could never get free? He's not all that. The Jews, in the Hebrew language, they love to honor God by putting his name in the names of their places, like cities and towns. They love to honor God by putting his name in their children's names. And they got that with good authority because in the scripture, angels like Michael and Gabriel, they had El, they had the name of God in their own name. The reason angels have power is not because angels are so great. It's because the name of God is so powerful and angels operate in the authority of the name of God. We don't pray to angels. We pray to Jesus, and Jesus lets his angels show up. Now, Lucifer was an angel. So there was Gabriel, there was Michael, there may have been Raphael. Lucifer is what the devil is called here in this Hebrew scripture. Lucifer in the Hebrew language is Halel, or we would say Hallel, praise Lucifer's name in Scripture literally means, praise ye the Lord. Lucifer's name in the Hebrew Scripture actually is, hallelujah. That was his original name. (laughs) Now, the devil has been cast out of heaven. He no longer has a right to operate in the authority of his name. But when Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, guess who got to pick up the authority that Lucifer used to operate in? Every time you lift your voice and you say that ancient word, hallelujah, that's not just a Pentecostal buzzword. That's just not an old apostolic custom. That's not just the favorite praise word of the elders. When you say hallelujah, what you just did was you stepped into the place that the devil once occupied. He used to lead worship in heaven. Guess who leads worship tonight? He used to offer praise to God. Guess who gets that job tonight? He used to have access to the throne of God. Guess who gets that access tonight? It's you. It's you. Hallelujah. I get to use that word now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That just makes me feel like doing what the elders taught us. They would rear back without caring what you thought about it, and they just shout, Hallelujah! That just makes me feel like lifting up a praise to God. Somebody in the moving, living, breathing, manifest presence of God, you can receive your healing right now because God, my healer, is here. You may have all kinds of anxiety, panic attacks, depression, whatever, but guess what? God, my peace, he's here tonight.
You may have some situation you cannot dig your way out of, but God, my banner, which means God, my miracle, he's here tonight. The one God, the true God, the only God, the everlasting God, he's here tonight. The Bible tells me that the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God is literally Christ in you, the hope of glory. Somebody can receive the Holy Ghost so easy tonight. Because in just a moment, without inhibition or embarrassment, without any kind of constraint, we're just going to let our voices loose for a few moments, and we're going to lift up praise to God. I hope somebody uses that ancient word, hallelujah, with a little bit of understanding tonight. Because when you use that word, the reason we use it on the mission field, it shakes up the spirit world. I've stood in Pakistan, where in one meeting, 40 500 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like that. It was like God picked up a bucket and just poured it out. You know what we were shouting when he did that? Hallelujah! <laughs> was in a meeting in the Philippines last year where 8,000 people received the Holy Ghost in just a few moments. Do you know what we were shouting when they received that? Hallelujah! There's something powerful when you realize the doesn't have the right and the access to God. I have the right and the access to God. I can go boldly to his throne tonight. Would you grab somebody's hand and lift it with yours right now? Just like chains of uplifted hands all over this building. And would you forget about them and forget about yourself and just lift up a loud, boisterous, exuberant, excited, apostolic, anointed praise to God. That's when it happens. That's where it happens. That's how it works. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. 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 Yes. Yes. If you need... A miracle in your body, a healing, or a miracle in your life, or you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the ultimate miracle, believe me. I'd like you to leave where you're standing right now, and I'd like you to make your way quickly to this altar. We're not singling you out. We're all going to end up here in a moment. The only thing I want to do is make sure you get here where your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters can pray for you because God's going to heal somebody. God's going to deliver somebody, and best of all, God is going to fill somebody with his spirit tonight. So don't miss your moment. Don't miss your opportunity. If any of those categories describe you, I want you to come now, and I want you to come quick, and I want you to come close because God can do anything when his people get to praising him. Elders, ministers, I want you to just move and be ready. We're going to wade into these people. And now this great church, you've worshiped God with abandon tonight. You've worshiped God without thought of time tonight. I want you to begin to make your way up here. And if you can get anywhere close to one of these wonderful people that are already in the altar, I want you to reach up and lay your hand on them. It's not about your hand. It's not about your praise. It's about Jesus who's being honored by your praise.
Yes, 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 yes. Now in the name of Jesus, upon the authority of the word of God, I speak healing to you. I speak deliverance to you. Receive your healing right now in the name of Jesus. Receive your miracle right now in the name of Jesus. Receive the Holy Ghost right now in the name of Jesus. Let everybody that's filled with God's Spirit lift up your voice right now and shout aloud to God. Shout with a voice of triumph. Shout hallelujah. Receive it right now, right now, right now, right now. Yes, yes. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Don't stop. Power is loosed in the river of praise. Miracles are loosed in the river of praise. Healing is loosed in the river of praise. So don't stop worshiping. Yes. Yes. Yes, receive it right now. Receive it right now. Receive it right now. Tara, hold while we're praying one more time. All of you that don't have your hand on somebody, lift up your hand and give God a great praise. Healing is loosed in the river of praise. The Holy Ghost is falling. It's coming upon us because of the river of praise. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Yeah. God's pouring out his spirit right now. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost, pray in the spirit right now. Mandula baba baba kia baha, sora baba la talabaha.